We have been in a series this summer. Welcome if you're just joining us. Uh, the title of the series is really a question. Are you praying or just saying? Right? And we have been looking through the model prayer. Many of you know as the Lord's Prayer or the Our Father. And we've been asking this question. My guess is that in some way, shape, or form, you prayed this morning. We prayed actually when we started the service. But the, the real question is, were you praying or just saying? Was it just words? Was it just something you just did um, and what did it really mean? Were you really having face time with Father? And so what we've been doing uh, throughout the entire summer is we read the Lord's Prayer together out loud. So maybe some of you have memorized it by now. Uh, if not, that's okay. We're going to read it together. Then we're going to sit down and, and we'll launch into it. So Matthew 6, 9 to 13. Ready? Begin. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. You may be seated. So if you were here when we opened the service in prayer, we again were reminded that the biblical word for pray has to do with face-to-faceness, if you want to call it that. It's not just speaking at God, it's not just reciting words, but biblically the word pray means to come face-to-face with God and to speak. So the picture that we've, we've been using, which, which has been pretty powerful for many, is that you know in our, in our culture we have our phones, so we're very used to texting, right? But it radically changes things when you say, hey, let's FaceTime. Right? Suddenly it's real. Suddenly there's another human on the other side of that, whether they're very close or very far. But FaceTiming someone means something different, actually. There's a relational component to it that radically alters your whole engagement in the process. Right? Texting, some of you text, some of you got shortcuts, some of you do emojis, right? For me, I get so many texts that I just do this. I I just do the thumbs up. And it means so much. Amen, right? It just means whatever the context is, good, I agree with that prayer, that's awesome, right? I got that, be home late, got that, right? Thumbs up just means like 10,000 things now, right? But if you say, hey, Dad, let's FaceTime. Oh, you know, my daughter, my son, they want to they FaceTime. We want to chat. And suddenly I have to slow down. And I can't just, you know? No, you want to FaceTime? And you're like, okay, sure. And it slows everything down, and we have a conversation, right? Which is kind of challenging in our culture and the rapidity of our culture, <sighs> right? Right? And prayer, and this model prayer, right? In Luke, one of the disciples said, hey, Jesus, can you teach us to pray? And he's like, sure. And he gives actually a different version of this and a shorter version. That's why it's a model prayer. And so this summer, we spent, this is like week 13, trying to understand what does it mean to pray? And it's such a churchy word, such a taken-for-granted word that if we're not careful, we check out. And we're like, oh, psh, I've been praying since, you know, I was this big. And, you know, don't we pray before we eat? And don't we pray before we sleep? You know, now I lay me down to sleep. Pray the Lord my, what is it, soul to keep? If I should die before I wake. Do you want to freak out your kid? Just say, I teach him that, right? If I should die. Ah! Right? Why are we praying that, right? So we say up things, we pick up things, we talked about using the phrase, ending it with in Jesus' name. Like, why do you say that? Right? And most of us just say that because that's what you heard someone else say. And then we, we were challenged for a few weeks, like, okay, what if you don't say in Jesus' name? Did it count? Right? Because then you get superstitious about it. And you get scared, right? Like if you're praying with someone and then, and, and then they just say, amen. You're like, he meant in Jesus' name, Father. You know, and just like you clean it up for the rookie who didn't know to say in Jesus' name, right? We get all kind of like twisted and turned about this thing called prayer. And, and, and we're just kind of trying to peel back layers. And some of you have taken it to heart and you've been challenged. Week one, I said, hey, Jesus says, pray then like this, our Father. So I challenge you in week one, hey, why don't you start doing what Jesus said and say, Father, and we talked about, wow, 
What does that even mean to call God Father? And we've walked through these heart issues, right? There's what? One, two, three. There's six of them, right? We look it up on the screen. Father is Abba, which is Papa, Daddy. Father is King. Father is Provider. Father is Communicator. He actually wants to speak to us through his word and the Holy Spirit. Father, Forgiver. And now with the last few weeks, we've been talking about Father, Protector, Father protector, in fact, Matthew 6.13 is our verse, is lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The heart behind that is a prayer. Every morning you get up and say, Father, I need you to guard my heart. Because I'm going to go out there and I need you to guard my heart. I need you to guard my mind. Because we've seen that the biblical word for temptation is really testing. It's testing. How many of you were tested in some way this week? Tested. Tested, all right? Tested or tempted, they're kind of synonymous. Usually we think of biblical temptation as, ooh, you know, seduction to evil and all kind of... No, it really just means testing. And, and really the word picture is if you have a precious metal, you, you put it in the fire, you test it for its genuineness. So God allows testing, okay? Not, God never tempts anyone. God allows testing to grow us. In the middle of the test, we have to make choices, That's what we've been talking about, right? So Martin Luther says this. What does this mean? God tempts no one. We pray in this petition that God would guard us and keep us so that the devil, the world, and our sinful nature may not deceive us or mislead us into false belief, despair, and other great shame and vice. Although we are attacked by these things, we pray that we may finally overcome them and win the victory, right? So a good definition, uh, John MacArthur says this, the basic meaning of temptation, there's the Greek word, is simply to test or prove and has no negative connotation. Whether it becomes a proof of righteousness or an inducement to evil depends on our, I won't say our, all right, our response. If we resist in God's power, it is a test that proves our faithfulness. If we do not resist, it becomes a solicitation to sin, right? And so we've been peeling back layers, and one of the things, other than the definition, is we've seen that temptation tends to be very issue-centric, like, oh, I was tempted by this, or I was tempted by this person, right? And we tend to focus on the, the thing or the person that's tempting us, when truly this prayer and, and biblically walking with Jesus, temptation has to do with your heart, And what is the core of our heart issue when you're tested or tempted is to do this. It's to act independently of God. That's the root of all testing and temptation is when you and I are put in situations and our thoughts and our emotions, everything is engaged in it and maybe the world is spinning and you're like, ah, at that moment you are being tested, you are being tempted by the enemy to act independently of God to take control, to fix it. I got this. I got this. Right? Right? How many of you would rather do a project yourself than try to help somebody else? Am I the only one? (laughs) Right? Right? How many of you have tried to delegate this thing of delegation and, and you hand it to them? And you're just going to tend to supervise. I'm just going to watch. And how many of you, your, your patience meter starts to go like this? As they're so slow. And like, you're like, oh, could have been done by now. Amen? Right? You're like, oh my gosh. Delegations, horrible, right? And you're tempted in that moment to do what? Take it back. You're tempted in that moment. Just give it to me. Just give it to me, right? That's what's happening in your life and in my life when you're getting tested and pulled. It's like, just give it to me, God, right? How many of you have ever felt like God's a little too slow on his timeline? You're like, okay, anytime. Been praying, you know, anytime, Lord, Father, anytime. How about just a hint? How about just a hint? Like some sign, that you're listening. Anyone, right? And, and, and in those moments, what's happening? You are being tempted. I'm being tempted to take it back, to act independently. That's what we saw when Jesus was in the wilderness and he had been fasting for 40 days, 40 nights. He's hungry. And the devil kind of innocently says, hey, why don't you turn these stones to bread there, son of God? What was he tempting Jesus to do? Himself. Take it. 
Act independently of God. Just do it. Just do it. Right? So that's really the heart, right? Proverbs 4.23. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. So we're trying to look at temptation from the heart level, right? From the heart level. Why is that important? I shared with you the last couple weeks. The church has not handled temptation and testing very well at all. In fact, the church has kind of been like, eh, let's just deal with it at the issue level, at the behavioral level. So what we've tried to do is not really deal with heart issues when you're tested or tempted, right? If Mark brings something, we tend to say, bad Mark. Just for the very fact of being tempted or tested, the church wants to control your behavior, your external behavior, bad boy, bad Christian, bad Christian. Right? So we try to deal with it externally by shame, by guilt, by condemnation. And then most of us start to develop this self-condemnation, even as a Christian, that something's wrong with you for even being tempted. Okay, so if you've been here before, here's the question. Is being tempted or tested a sin? No. no. Just being tested or tempted is not a sin. Who in the Bible was tempted? Jesus, yet without sin. Very important, yet without sin. We saw last week, King David, the Apostle Paul, right? Job. Job, right? Look what it says about Job. Job 1.1. We're going to skip way ahead a little bit there, Garrett. Job 1.1 says this. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. Right? So here's the crazy thing. It says that about Job, but if I go to a men's small group or you go to a women's Bible study and say, and they go about, how was your week? Right? Fine, 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 fine. But your heart's beating because your week hasn't been fine. And you're like, oh, do I share with this group? Can I share with this group? What are they going to think about me? Big fear. They're like, ah, oh, it's time. I need to share. Right? And it's so strange in the church how we do this. Someone says, hey, how was your week? And you're like, oh, I was tested. Well, what's wrong with you? Isn't that how we deal with it? We, we stigmatized it. We, even in the church, we all celebrate. We're saved by grace through faith. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're all in sanctification. We're all in process, right? In fact, I tell you over and over, if you find the perfect church, don't join it. Why? Because you'll mess it up because you're not perfect, right? We want the perfect church. No, the church is made up of imperfect, redeemed sinners. Amen? saved by the grace. We're all in process, right? So just turn to the person next to you and say, he's not done with me. Just turn, just turn. You might as well just say it. Just say it, right? How many of you find freedom in saying that? He's, he's not done with me because most of us come to church. Oh, got to go to church. Right? I've seen that. I shared before the transformation that happens. I see you arguing on your car. Then you turn right into the lot and we're here. We're here. Behave. I'm going to go in there and love Jesus. And get out of your car. By the time you reach Betty and the greeters, hey. Betty is trained to know when you're lying. She knows. Our greeters know. Liar. Liar. <laughs> Praying for you. Right? We get so hung up that, that when it comes to this idea of temptation and testing, we can't even just be real anymore. And what that does is it puts us in isolation. And, and, and we're crying out for help. And then we get so bound up in fear of what our brothers and sisters in Christ in sanctification think about us. That, that we get spun. We get spun. We don't even want to come to church anymore because we feel so guilty. No one understands. All they do is point fingers. Are they going to, you know, is the tribe going to vote me off the island? You know, we get so hung up and yet the person sitting next to you or in front of you or behind you right now 
is probably going something through something very similar or will. So turn to that person. Don't say, just smile at them right now. Just give that knowing smile like, I know, I know, I know, right? So we're walking through this, how to deal with this testing. Now, don't freak, I said last week, don't freak out. There's eight biblical responses that, that we put up. It's in your notes there, by the way, as well, right? Relationship with Abba, all of these. That's a lot. We went through the first four, and we're going to focus on number five today, which is recognize the enemy's strategy, right? If we're going to deal biblically with testing and temptation, we kind of got to know what the enemy is doing because here's the deal, hasn't changed. At the root, at the core of the enemy's strategy, what he did with Eve and Adam in the garden, right here, for some of you sitting right here, right now, my prayer has been that maybe you'll go have one of these like, oh my gosh, this is happening to me. Because when you are tested and when you are tempted, the same scheme and strategy is applied, right? So Genesis 3, 1 through 6 says this. Now the serpent was more crafty than the other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that there was tree to be desired, the tree was uh, to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Okay, I'm going to ask you not to check out because this is a Bible story that many of you have heard since you were this big. Real easy to just go, oh, yeah, I get it. It was the fall, right? No, what we want to do is, is last week I gave the analogy, the word picture of looking under the hood, looking under the hood of your car. When something's wrong, right, you get these dash lights. You, know, you, might, you might hear a knocking. You might hear something up. How many of you tend to, as long as you can, ignore that knocking, pinging, warning dash light, right? Right? I think for like two weeks, my windshield wiper fluid on my car. The light has just been like this. And it's annoying and it's nagging, but I know it's not hurting anything, right? And I, I say, oh, I got to fix that. I got to take care of that. Then I get home and I get busy and I just never get to it until I drive here this morning. I'm like, oh my gosh, really? Right? A lot of us tend to kind of know something maybe is not right. Maybe you have a dash light. Maybe you have a good ear for your car. But to take the time to actually look under there and, or get help of mechanic, that's what we're doing here. It's real easy to say, oh, yeah, it was the fall. Adam and Eve blew it. <laughs> right? But what's crazy, if you think about this, Adam and Eve were hooked up in a perfect place. The perfect environment. They had not had this sin nature fall yet. God gave them everything they needed. And even in that perfect environment, they still were deceived. What more you and me? What more you and me? I mean, that should make you kind of tremble a little bit. That makes that, that prayer, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That makes it real for me in 2019. Because if Adam and Eve can mess up that big... In the presence of God. Like he was chilling with them. Like, and they still chose their path. That makes me very, very careful about me. And should make you very, very careful about you. Right? Second Corinthians 11.3 says, I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led away from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. It's cunning. He's cunning. He's crafty, right? That word deceived means led astray by persuasion, seduce, to cause someone to believe or accept false ideas in order to leave them astray. The devil, like I said, he's not going to come at you all scary with a red pitchfork. Ah! Disobey God! Ah! What would that do? Scare you to Jesus. You would start praying. You would read your Bible. You'd show up here. You'd show up Tuesday night. You'd go to, men, you'd go to everything you could if the devil came up and scared you. 
He's not going to do that. He's going to come the exact opposite. And it's going to be so sweet and innocent and harmless. And he's just reeling you in. Let's see, Mark. What do I got in my tackle box? Like, fishermen, right? You you throw plastics. The fish are just... It's not some big scary shark that they're throwing at the fish. It's something the fish like. Something the fish are just going to... Shiny object. Body comb. Right? Robert. Here's the thing. He knows all of you. The enemy knows. And it's going to look good. It's going to look like the real thing. And then when you bite it, you're like, oh, snap. (laughs) I just got took. Elder Bill. Right? He knows. He's smart. He's crafty. He's crafty. And here's his strategy, kind of in a nutshell. If he can get into your heart and mind, get you to to not trust God, to doubt God, he can get you then to deny or disregard his God's will. As soon as you're there, that fast to disobedience. He'll get you to doubt. He'll get you to deny or disregard. And then you just disobey. Same strategy. It's what he did with Eve. It's what he did with Eve. All right? Genesis 3.1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Last Sunday, I shared with you something very important because the Lord's prayer is a prayer for those in covenant with Father, those who are believers, our Father. So we're looking at temptation and testing through the lens of believers, okay, who are in covenant with God. That's why you can say Father. That's why you can say Abba. You have a familial relationship with God, okay? Why is that important? Genesis 3.1 says this, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Now, it's real important in this verse. See where it says, Lord God, all capitalized, right? That's Jehovah or Yahweh Elohim, okay? Very important. So when you see Lord God, that's Jehovah Elohim. That is a covenant description of God. Jehovah Yahweh means covenant God. Elohim is impersonal creator God. Right? So what, look at what the devil says. Did Elohim, hey, did this impersonal creator God, he's switching her perception. He's already got her viewing God, not as Jehovah Elohim, but just Elohim. See, many of us, and you're like, what are you getting at? How many of us have really settled the issue that as a believer, it's Abba and not just God? Right? Like I told you before, last week, deism, there's a phrase called deism. It's basically this. I believe in a God. I believe in a creator. But deism says, creator, impersonal, transcendent God, created everything, spun it, and now is just sitting back watching all of us try to figure it out. That's deism. So they believe in God, but God is impersonal. He's there, but he's just watching us. He's not personal. Jehovah Elohim, or Abba in the New Covenant, means Abba Father is intimately involved in your life. You see the radical difference? The devil's first strategy is to get Eve to not see God accurately. See, you might be tested right now in your finances. You might be tested right now in your relationship. So when you pray, are you praying to an impersonal God who just sort of is out there? Or are you praying to Abba Father about that? It makes all the difference in your trust level. It makes all the difference if it's an impersonal, creator, deist God that you think about 
or if he's in your life and he loves you and he knows the hairs on your head and he wants the best for you, right? It, it, look at Matthew six thirty one. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly who? Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. He doesn't say, hey, and this impersonal God knows that you... You see the difference? He's not talking in generalities. This verse, Matthew 6, is your heavenly Father knows. Radical difference at the heart level. Radical difference. Look at Matthew 7. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your what? Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him. See, if it's a father and you're believing it's father, then if God is good, meaning father is good, and all the time, okay, now we're going to switch that. Father is good, and all the time. You see the difference? The radical difference between God and Father. Just saying it and getting it to sink in. There's an intimacy, there's a relationship, there's a covenant component that will radically, radically enable you to walk in faith if it's Father and not just generic God. Okay? You just got, you just got to kind of hang in there. You're going to have to work through this because this is like... Oh my gosh, how many of us kind of just go through, you're going to leave here, you're going to go to lunch, you're going to go to work tomorrow, and it's just generic God. It's kind of just generic God you pray to, generic God's word, generic God who cares about you, versus, no, this is Abba. This is my father. This is my father. Okay? That's why we got to just kind of like, we got to take time with this, because this is what's going on. This is where the enemy lives. This is what he's dealing with. Right? So right away, very first question, did God actually say? Right? So he tries to get, get her to see God as Elohim and not in covenant with her, not as Jehovah Elohim. And then he does this, right? We said this, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden. Remember last week I said, that's not a real question. That's a false question. That's an insincere question. It's actually an accusation. It's an accusatory statement. Basically what he's saying is, hey, you know... This impersonal God, right? Because he just uses it. This impersonal God, not really that good. In fact, he's keeping stuff from you. He's mean. He's negative. You see, it's an accusation. It's an accusation. We talked about it last Sunday. It's, it's like that insincere question that people say, how could a loving God send people to hell? That's not a question. That's a statement. They're making an accusation about the nature of God, and we talked about it last Sunday. That's false. God sends no one to hell, Right? So you've got to be real careful because it looks like this, hey, did God actually say you shall not? He's accusing. It's already getting her to think of God impersonally, but also what? Negatively. You shall not eat of any tree in the garden. Classic, classic, classic way that we view Christianity in the Bible. Rules, rules, rules. You go to church? Dude, church? How could you be a Christian? It's all a bunch of don'ts. Right? Don't smoke. Don't chew. Don't hang out with people that do. Right? That whole deal. Right? Modified for those of you in the know. But, right? We get this whole rules thing. So he says, hey, this impersonal God, he's kind of a, he's kind of like a killjoy, right? Everybody needs a, every party needs a pooper. That's why we invited you. Remember that one from Father of the Bride, right? It's like the cosmic killjoy. This impersonal God, he's keeping things. He's negative. He's getting into her mind and her heart, getting her to doubt, 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 doubt. Well, who, yeah, gosh. Because you've got to remember, up until this time, she was just good to go. She was implicitly good to go with Father. No doubt, no accusation. She was taking it at face value, Right? How many of you as parents remember when your kids just listened? Anyone? Like you just said something and they're like, okay. And you remember those good old days? Like, okay, maybe some of you never had that, but it does happen. It does happen, right? Like your kid just like trusts you. 
They just believe what you say is true. Anyone, right? They just believe you. It's like because it's coming from you, they just receive it as truth, gospel truth. Right? They just do. Right? And in school and everything messes, right? But it's like, okay, why can't we just do that with Father? Why can't we just like, why do we like, why? How many of you have kids? Why? I don't want to. I don't feel like it. But she, but he, how come? That's just us in the grown-up version. We do the exact same thing. And Father's like, can you just listen? I want the best for you. You're my child. I'm not trying to ruin your life. I'm good all the time. You say it every Sunday. We sing songs. Why can't you just listen? Right? Why? Because the enemy is constantly in our head. Don't, don't. Doubt, doubt, doubt. Can't trust, can't trust, can't trust. Right? You even see this. This plays out. I was thinking about this. This is even what's happening in our culture in the media. Because of social media and tweets and whatever news you happen to listen to, all it takes, all it takes these days is a headline. True or false. And it skews everybody. It skews everyone. Even if later it's found to be completely false or not 100 true, it doesn't matter because the initial wave came through and colored you already. This, is, this, this, is, this happened in the garden. It was fake news to Eve. And he's doing the same thing to us today. This is what you see. When, right? You see this headline, you're like, oh my gosh. 99% of the people never follow up. They just go by the headline. And they're colored. This is what he's doing with Eve. He's coloring her. This is what he does to you and me when you leave here. He's coloring you. Do you really trust that God? Can you really trust that God? Can you trust him really? The Bible? You believe the Bible? You believe God's will is the best? It's all trying to get your trust level, your heart level, right? This is what's going on. Here's a word of encouragement. In the church, in your life, in my life, here's a verse that will help many of you with this coloring. And you hear something about on the news, or you hear something about a coworker, you hear something about me or someone in this church, you hear something about a brother or sister, here's the best thing to do when you get gossip in your ear. Right? Proverbs 18, 17. The one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. Another way to say this, any story sounds true until someone sets the record straight. So, that's a great verse to memorize. Because when someone gets in your ear about your coworker tomorrow, take a deep breath. Don't be, don't be so quick to buy in. Because people come all the time with agendas. And they're whispering in your ear and they're trying to get you to color you about somebody. And they're going to gossip and they're going to say this and that. Take a deep breath and know that there's not just usually more than one side. There's a bunch of sides. Amen? And this happens in the church. Someone says something about me, take a deep breath. Call me. Text me. I've had that happen. I've been in Ohio 20 years. I've had people say, hey, you know, I heard this. Can we talk? Can we meet? I'm like, yeah, sure. Let's, let's get it out. Let's get it out. Let's just reveal the truth. How many of you have ever had something like this happen and you go, and how many of you was like, oh, really? I didn't know there was another side. Anyone? But you were already down the path of you, you bought in hook, line, and sinker to what you heard first. Right? You bought in hook, line, and sinker, and then you finally heard some counter. You heard some other truth. You got all this, and you're like, wait a sec. I just got played. They just, they just played me. They just were trying to get me on their team. Be very careful. This is what's happened to Eve. I give you that verse. Just it happens. It happens. Someone's getting in your ear. There's always another side. Go check it out. Go check it out. Right? So Eve is challenged at the heart level. Right? And what's interesting, look at what Eve says. Right? Garrett, let's put up Eve's, Eve's comment. Right? Go back to uh, Genesis uh, 3.2. Would it be 3.2? Right? He says this. You shall not eat but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die, right? Is that what God really said? Is that all that he said? Right at the top there. 
It says, And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden, of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Okay, A, God did not say touch it. Okay? So now she's exaggerating the negative. We can't even touch it. We can't even touch it. Do you get what's going on here? Right? But there's, a, there's an important word that Eve omitted. Right? So, Garrett, let's go to Genesis 2.15. Let's look what God said. The Lord God placed, remember this is covenant God, the Lord God placed the man in the garden, he's talking to Adam, to tend it and watch over it. But the Lord God warmed him. You may what? You may what? Freely eat the fruit of what? Every tree in the garden, except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. What did Eve omit? The word freely. See? You get it? Now she doesn't even, she's not even acknowledging the generosity of God. She's already, oh yeah, no. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's as if I would say, hey, you know these orchards out here? You can eat of any of these orchards, just not one. How many of you would tend to be like, really? I get them all except one? How many would, would, would like say thank you? Right? But here's the deception. <sighs> he said, God said, you can freely eat. He's generous. He provides all their needs in abundance. Abundance. Everything they need except one. Just like, go eat of all those trees over there. Go across the street. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Just, just leave that one alone. But the devil is so slick. He gets her and he gets us to focus on what we can't have. He pushes the doubt. He puts it all on us, right? And then in Genesis 3, he even pushes it further. Look at this. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Okay, here's the, here's the, here, let's rephrase that. But the serpent said to the woman, God's a liar. God said there would be consequences. The serpent says straight up, God's lying to you. You will surely not die. You hear the importance of this. He's calling God a liar. That's what he does to you and I today in 2019. You're going to be tempted and you're going to be tested. It's going to be crystal clear what the Bible says about this issue. And you're going to have to believe, you're going to have to ask yourself, is God lying to me? Do I trust God or not? Is God a liar? Is God a liar? Right? For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Not only is God a liar, he's not even good because he's keeping something behind his back. He's keeping something from you, nanny, nanny, nanny. He's a liar and he doesn't really have your best interests in mind. He's actually keeping something from you. And isn't that the, the deception when we're tested and tempted? Can I really trust God? And does he really have my back in this area? Or is he keeping that special someone from me? Is he keeping my finances bad? Is he, is he this? What's he keeping from me? Oh, okay, I can't trust him. And he's keeping something from me. Which means, i got to take control of it. You see how we get set up? He just launches it, and he gets us spinning into our heart and mind. God's a liar. You can't trust him. He's keeping something from you. He's not really good. All the time. All the time. Hmm. And then, here's the ultimate grand deception. We get to the point where we convince ourselves... Because of the devil's deception, we buy into it. We go down this path. We actually convince ourselves that disobedience is the best path. Isn't that crazy? We get to the place where like, I know what God's word says, but I think I know better and I'm going to do my thing. Isn't that amazing? Like sitting here cognitively just like many of you are like, who would do that? Kind of every time you disobey God's will, you're doing that. Isn't that crazy? The grand deception from doubt to denial to disobedience. I know what's best. We convince ourselves, and actually we walk around sometimes like, I got this. 
It's amazing how everyone in this room and listening online is susceptible to the same strategy. Doubt, deny, disobey. And we believe it's the best thing. It's the best thing. It's like those carnival games at the fair. I don't know how much money I lost at the fair growing up. Because it looks so easy. Anyone? Right? Just shoot the basket and shoot the ball into the basket. Just climb this rope ladder. Just do this. And then the guys behind there, the guys, they make it look so easy. Anyone? Right? Just do this. Five bucks. Want to give it a shot? And then you do research and you're like, it's rigged. It's rigged for me to fail. And yet, what do they do? They dangle the carrot. Look at the big stuffed animal. Right? Look at the... Right? And they get all these, they push all these buttons, and it's rigged system. It's designed for you not to win. They just want your money. But we get convinced, I could do this. I mean, I know. I sit back and I watch guys. Anyone know that sound? I could do that. I could do that. And you go up there and you, get, you convince yourself. Even though you know. You might even have a friend that says, don't do it. Don't do it. It's rigged. Ah! That's for those lessers. Not I. Right? How many of you have ever had a friend try to tell you something and you blew him off because you thought you knew better? Right? Same thing. It's rigged. Right? So Eve says this, verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he also ate. So doubt gets in her head, gets in her heart. She's like, can I trust God? Is he good all the time? Is it just generic God? Is he really covenant with me? Ah, Is he keeping something from me? Ah, 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 Right? And then it says that she disobeyed and she gave to Adam, right? Now, in the church, it would be tempting to say, you know, and just kind of, bad Eve. But what was going on under the hood? Well, there was doubt. There was struggling, right? And I was thinking about this week. This week. I shared years and years, and over the years, I shared with you this progression. Garrett, do we have the beliefs Thoughts, emotions, actions. Do we have that? All right, here's a progression. This is what happened. This is what happens to you and me. Most of the time in the church, we try to live in actions. Oh, you know, do this, don't do this. And we're very action, very behavior driven. And then your kids act up and you're like, well, don't do that, don't do that. And we get, we, you know, we try to deal just at the very surface action level. When the truth is, your actions ultimately go back to your belief system. So Eve, before her conversation with the serpent, her belief system was pretty solid. But the devil got into her head at the belief level. Got into her heart at the belief level. Who is this God? Is it personal? Is he keeping something from you? Doubt? Trust? Can you really trust him? Once her belief structure was changed that I don't think I can trust him, her thoughts change. Then her emotions start to change. That's what's going on under the hood in her life and in my life and in your life. If you're struggling with something, testing and tempting, here's the deal. Ask yourself, what do you really believe? Do you really believe God in this area? Do you really trust God in this area? Because the answers to that will help you understand why you think certain things. And it's going to help you understand why you are feeling certain things, and ultimately it's going to help you understand why you do what you do. Because what you do is ultimately tied to your belief structure. That is the devil's same strategy. Get to the belief structure. Get to the belief structure. Adam and Eve had the perfect environment, so it wasn't an environmental issue. It was a belief issue in the perfect environment. That's what he does to you and me. You might be comfy, cozy, and got your 401k, and got your job, and got your kids, and got your dog, and your white, whatever you have. Right in the middle of that, the devil is like right now pounding you at the belief level. Pounding you. Non-stop. Right? That's what makes this so 
relentless and such. <sighs> this is why, you know, I'm glad and, and, and I really want to affirm you guys that we can kind of just go this slow. <laughs> we got to get this. You got to understand what's really making you tick. What's driving you in these areas of testing and temptation, right? In 2013 and then in 2016, there's a word that was added to dictionaries, the Oxford Dictionary and the Merriam-Webster. And it's called FOMO. How many of you have heard of FOMO? Okay, so some of you are now experiencing FOMO because <laughs> you missed out. You're like, man, I'm, I'm like, it's 2019. Where was I in 2016, 2013? FOMO is fear of missing out. It was added to the dictionary. It is now a word. Fear of missing out. That's why you check your phones all the time. That's why you've got to be connected to your social media. You're afraid of missing out on all the good times that your perfect friends are having. <laughs> got to check it. I've got to check it. What's driving? Ask yourself, what's driving, what's driving your social media? It's fear. Fear of missing out. Why do you got to check the news every 30 seconds? Fear of missing out. That also includes fear of regret. Regretting to do something, regretting not to do something. Fear of missing out. A lot of us in this culture now, that's right, texting while you're driving. It's fear. Thumb. I'll just do the thumb. Right? Taking a call when you're in a meeting. Where, where did that become a thing? Right? I'm in a meeting. A call comes through. I'm afraid of missing out on the call. It's FOMO. A lot of what you and I deal with at the testing and temptation level is fear. In all its manifestations. Fear of missing out on being married. Fear on missing out of your financial situation improving. Fear of your health. Fear of this. Fear of that. Fear of that. The counter to that, go back to the beliefs, Garrett. If you're feeling it, ask yourself what you're believing then. See what I'm saying? You've got to go deeper than just your feelings. If you're struggling with turning off social media... Ask yourself why. What's going on? And then you not just fear, then you have anger, then you have insecurity, then you have greed, and you have lust. All these emotions, all these feelings that the enemy knows will play you. God's not good. Oh, fear, fear. Get it, get it. If he can get your belief structure rocked, he can get you thinking certain things and he can get you feeling certain things and pretty soon you're just making these choices that you think are the best. And it's in complete opposite to God's revealed world, word. That's what's going on under the hood when we're tempted and tested. It's a lot of FOMO. It's a lot of FOMO. A lot of fear and insecurity driving you and me. Ask yourself, right? <sighs> Okay, why do you believe that? Why do you believe you have to check social media every 30 seconds, every minute, every hour, every day? What are you afraid of? Those are real conversations to have. What are you afraid of? What's driving that? What's the fear? What's the insecurity? Right? Proverbs 14:12 says this. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Eve thought she had it. Seemed right. Looked good. Right? I love Look good. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. She was going to be like God. It seemed right. And unfortunately, in my life and in your life, I'm sure you have the shoulda, woulda, couldas. Anyone ever have that moment you're like, what was I thinking? Anyone ever have a what was I thinking moment? Because up until that point, it seemed perfect. You had it all dialed in. You had the plan. This was going to get you over the hump. This was going to solve everything. This was going to... Anyone ever had that where you, you were just so dialed in, you're like, I got to do this. I cannot not do this. This is perfect. You do it and you're like, what was I thinking? Well, there's a way that seems right to a man. 
but you were hoodwinked. You were deceived because you were being driven by your emotions. Your belief structure was actually out of whack is what was going on. So if my belief structure is false or wrong and it leads to false thoughts and it leads to these emotions that are tied to those and it ultimately causes me to act out, if I want to correct this, where do I need to go? Back to the beginning. But see, the church tends to deal with behaviors only. I'm tested, I'm struggling, you know, pornography, da 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 And you're like, well, stop, just stop. It's not real. You've got to go all the way back to your belief structure. If your belief structure is faulty and you correct your belief structure, your thoughts will change then your emotions will change and by default you will start living a more godly life. Amen? Amen. Rooted in a correct belief structure. That's why we need each other. This is why the church is the church. This is what we're called to do. Because when, when Mark comes to me and he says, hey, I'm being tested and tempted, I don't say to him, bad Mark. I say, dude, what's driving that? What's going on? Well, you know, and, and the more he talks and the more I listen, what, what's the goal? Identify what's going on in his belief structure. Identify what we need to bring biblically, biblically to correct his belief structure. Well, maybe he'll even say, I don't know if I can trust God in this area of my life. I'm really, you know, I had some bad experiences. I'm, I'm wounded. I'm angry. I'm bitter. I'm like, okay, awesome. Let's deal with anger and bitterness all biblically. You see what I'm saying? Let's deal with the heart issues biblically. But I have to give Mark the freedom to turn over the cards. Just flip the cards, bro. It's okay. I still love you. Flip the cards, because here's the deal, Mark. I got a deck in my back pocket. You think your deck's messed up? Want to play fish? Let's go fish. Do you have any lust? Oh, you know. We got the same deck, amen? It's not much different. But the devil says, oh, no, you can't. Don't flip your cards over. Everyone in that church, they're going to judge you. They're going to condemn you. Look. It is not a license to sin. It is not an excuse to sin. God's word is God's word. We are called to live in faith and obedience. Amen? That does not mean we don't extend grace and compassion and understanding to the wounded among us. You all got your wounds. I have my wounds. You have your false beliefs. I have my struggles too. We are all in the same... What You were here before. I had a rock tumbler. We're all in the rock tumbler. That's what the church is. It's a rock tumbler. And we're all being refined by each other. By each other. That's what we're about here, right? So today, I just want to share with you, my heart and my prayer for us as a church was, if we can just get to the place of honesty and being okay with being human in, in process, it's not an excuse. Believe me, this is not an excuse. We're called to be holy as he is holy. We're called to exercise ourselves on the godliness. This is in no way an excuse for sin. What it is is just an understanding that you and I face temptations that are common to man. That are just common to man, right? And we just have to be self-aware. Just be self-aware. Proverbs uh, 3, 5, and 7. Garrett will close with 3, 5, and 7. Very familiar. Trust in the Lord... With all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways. All. Everyone say all. Okay. Remember you said all when you leave here. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. There's two things in that that we're going to close with. A. Trust in the Lord in all. All. So I've got to ask you right now this morning as you sit here, is there an area where you're just struggling with trusting him? And it's okay. I'm, it, that's not a guilt, that's not a condemnation question. That's an honest question. Is there an area in your life where you're struggling with trusting the Lord? Okay. He, he already knows anyway. 
And it says at the end, be not wise in your own eyes. Is there an area in your life where you kind of say, I got it? And you're kind of being wise in your own eyes and you're figuring and you're conjecturing and you're calculating, but you've not even spoken to anyone. Because you know what's interesting in that passage back in Genesis? Where was Adam? The Bible doesn't, the Bible doesn't do two things. It doesn't say that Eve asked for help and it doesn't say that Adam interjected at all. She was dealing with this talking serpent by herself. You get it now? He's challenging her at core belief levels, getting her to completely disregard his revealed will, and she's trying to do it all alone. So how many of us are all alone? You're just trying to deal with it. I got it. I got it. Hey, can I pray for you? No, I'm good. This goes back to the enemy scheme. He's going to scare you into isolation. He's going to make you so scared you can't even tell your closest brother and sister in the Lord that you're being tested or tempted because you're so scared and I'm so scared of what they're going to think about you. What they're going to think about you. Right? And it's a false belief. Because I'm pretty sure your brother and sister who love you dearly, hopefully they're just going to listen and love you and extend you grace and compassion. But it goes back to trust. It goes back to trust, right? I was thinking of this today and I saw this and it reminded me. Back in 19, mid-90s, I was a youth pastor in San Diego and we brought some kids whitewater rafting. And it's kind of a tale of two rafts. So in my raft, we launch out, and there's four of us, four or five of us, and the guide. And it's calm waters, and he teaches us forward paddle, right paddle, only we paddle, left paddle, we don't paddle, they paddle, back paddle, we all back paddle. If he yells dig, we dig like our life depends on it, right? And so we practice, da 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 We come to rapids at the Kern River, and there's varying levels of rapids, one all the way up, I think, into four, three or four. And what we would do, we would get to a rapid, we would kind of stop, and he would kind of pull us over to the bank, and he would look, and he says, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to hit that rock, we're going to bounce backwards, and we're going to do this. And he would tell us what was about to happen in this rapid. And we would just have to listen and just do what he said, and we would be fine. So we would say, okay, forward paddle. And we're paddling, we get into it, and he's yelling, right paddle, right paddle, back paddle, back paddle, forward paddle, dig, 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 right? And we're just, and all of a sudden it's over. Right? And I'm like, that was awesome. Right? And if you've ever been white rafting, it's real quiet. And then you hear something. You're like, whoa, whoa. Kind of like life. Maybe something right now, life is good. But you're just hearing something in the distance. You're like, who? Right? So we ended up having a really good time because our guide was solid. I had complete confidence in him and his ability. Not so much another raft right next to me. And I felt really bad because I was the, the youth pastor and there was a raft with students and a guide there. I don't know what happened, but pretty quickly into their experience, they lost all confidence in their guide. They lost all confidence in their guide. And I remember one time there was this rapid and there was this little shelf and you had to hit it just right or you would get stuck on the shelf. Right? you get stuck. And then they would yell, Scooch! And scooch means everyone does this. You scooch. And you try to inch the raft off and you go again. So we go and I'm watching this raft and they get stuck on the, this, this little shelf and the guide is yelling, scooch, scooch. And all the students had put their oars down and were huddled in the boat like this. <laughs> Terrified. Terrified. They had given up. They had given up. It was probably the worst day of their life. They couldn't wait to get off the river. And why? Because they didn't trust their guide. They had lost belief that the guide, for whatever reason, knew what he was doing. They could trust him. Us, on the other hand, we just, okay, we're having a good old time, leaning out there, you know, just having a good old time. Just tale of two rafts, but really is a tale of two levels of trust. Tale of two belief structures. 
that radically changed things. So question, you trust your guide? Is your guide Elohim, impersonal creator God? Is your guide Abba, Father? Is your guide good all the time? And all the time, is he good? What do you really believe about your guide? If he tells you to right paddle, are you going to right paddle when you leave here? If he tells you to dig, are you going to dig when you leave here? If he tells you to scooch, are you going to scooch when you leave? It all goes back to you trust you trust your guide. 